The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of MIA Equity and Equity New Zealand. Each year, the Equity Foundation delivers more than 100 masterclasses, workshops, film screenings, in conversations, international scholarships, and on set internships free of charge for Equity members. We give our thanks to our principal sponsor, Media Super. Alex Jones here. As you know, I'm the program manager at the Equity Foundation, and today I have the great pleasure in introducing our special guest, Miles Hunt, who's Equity Senior Industrial Officer. Before we commence, I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nations and pay my respects to all the traditional owners of country and all throughout our country and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture, and that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land and we pay our respects to elders past and present. I want to take a minute to thank the Equity Foundation's principal sponsor, Media Super. Media Super has supported the foundation since our beginning in the early 2000s. They are your industry super fund, and they can help you with your superannuation and provide you with financial advice. Uh, and they're fully equipped to assist with building your superannuation as they understand that actors often have um, uh, irregular incomes and they can work with you on that. Uh, so don't hesitate to contact them and contact me if you need their details. We'll have Q&A at the end of the session. Please also note that Tess Chapel, Equities Industrial Officer, may join Miles in discussions of some issues. Okay, so please welcome Miles. Uh, thank you, Alex. Hello, everyone. I'm Miles, as Alex said. I just... Um, here to talk to you about rights, residuals and usage. Um, I'm an industrial officer here, uh, so I'm always often involved in the negotiations of the equity contracts and agreements, which underpin many of our film and TV productions, as well as being in, uh, uh, running cases for individuals um, for underpayments and that sort of thing. Um, and equity has a big role in dealing with not only setting out usage for performers, and making sure there's a payment for that, which is not set out in the award, and also getting residuals in the back end. So um, it's good to be part of that process because I know it means, you know, it, can, it helps performers a lot and provides more finan uh, benefit financially um, for, for the use of the image. Um, I'll share my screen now, and then we, I've got a little PowerPoint presentation. Uh, here we go, rights, residuals, and usage. Some of these... Uh, agreements that we will discuss you may probably will have heard of and because they're often involved in your individual contracts they're included um, but you may not necessarily understand that the, the specifics of uh, how usage works and how residuals work uh, and I'm going to give you a bit of an overview um, it won't necessarily be too in-depth on the um, try and provide some understanding of it but you know you don't necessarily need to understand the mechanisms in order to to have your entitlement paid because me will distribute that as to you as a performer um, although the upfront usage is generally in your individual contract and would be paid on a weekly basis if you're on a production 
I'll just give you a bit of a rundown of the history. 2004, the Australian TV Rights and Reducer Agreement, there was a 1998 agreement, and then there's a 2004 agreement. And this sets out the entitlement to uh, residuals and upfront usage. That's it. There's a model we use, which is a combination of both. It's important. I think they both have a benefit to be paid upfront for your usage for some period of time, uh, usually a limited period of time and some down the line because not productions don't, off, don't necessarily make enough money to pay residuals in the future. So it's a benefit to performers to get something up front. And also if the, if the production does well, then you know there's benefit to getting something down the line as well from those profits. So that 2004 agreement is sort of the grandfather of it all uh, or the 98 agreement prior to that. And that sets out Australian TV rights and residuals agreement. And that is for all drama and comedy TV shows, half an hour, hour longer, um, that sort of thing. Most television, although it doesn't include things like documentaries uh, although if it's a if you're an actor in a documentary type scene uh, from from a documentary uh, then it would be included and uh, the other one is reality shows which everyone knows has been a boon for the tv industry because uh, production companies don't have to pay performers um, and you know they're not necessarily put actors involved obviously in some circumstances there'll be payment there but it's not underpinned by that agreement uh, the 2012 Australian Feature Film Collective Agreement, that sets out the entitlement to rights uh, usage and down the line residuals again for Australian feature, feature films. Australian feature films are ones which have an Australian creative control, um, usually the directors, producers, writers, creatives, key, key creatives are people of Australian nationality. Although there is capacity to, and there's capacity in that agreement to have some imported artists under circumstance, certain circumstances and of some co-productions. Uh, usually if it's the creative control is vests outside of Australia, it would be under, uh, called an offshore agreement, which we also have developed. Uh, then there's Australian TV Programs Agreement, at part 2013. That's similar to the AFCA in that it does conditions, but it's only for TV. Um, that works in hand in hand with your ATRA. So generally a contract, an individual contract would say terms and conditions as per the ATPA, Australian Television Programs Agreement, and the ATRA, so you're getting your conditions, hours of work, that sort of stuff governed by one, and then the usage and residuals governed by the ATRA. In 2016, there was an MOU done with SPA, which is the Screen Producers Australia, and is a um, the body we negotiate these agreements with. Uh, and that sort of was to deal with the technology changes, which were in effect making some of the ATRA redundant mainly the streamers, I guess, SVOD, subscription video on demand or streamers, because you can imagine um, the under the outro, you'll, you'll often see the entitlement to ongoing residuals is defined through the gross receipts of the production company or the distributor. Now, if you have a streamer and there's no gross receipts from that production, say um, Heartbreak Hide goes on one of the streamers, that doesn't actually create any money uh, there's no payment from the, to the distributor. Netflix um, may pay the production company or may invest or may just make it themselves, right? The, in Heartbreak High, that's through Fremantle, but sometimes they'll do it themselves. Um, so you have a system where you've got that, uh, a library of, of, of productions and a 
the stream are basically charging a subscription amount, there's no way to tell the value of that residual from any gross receipts, et cetera. So the 2016 agreement was basically set out to deal with that technology change. You'll um, know, now we come around to 2022, uh, 2023, I should say, uh, we're negotiating the AFCA and the APFA next year, 20, early 2024, late 2023. So um, there'll be information going out to performers who want to be involved or put in their, their thoughts on how those agreements may be enhanced. Uh, the ATRA 2016 is not being negotiated. So that's, that's working pretty well, I have to say. Um, so most, well, most productions now are under the 2016 agreement, although some are grandfathered under the 2004 agreement. And that 2016 agreement incorporates many terms from the 2004. So they, they, it's it's just an enhanced version and updated with 2004 and some changes to deal with, you know, online programs, streamers, that sort of thing, and the the more the initial broadcast where it happens. But those those film and TV is up for negotiation. We might have to look in the feature film usage um, as part of that agreement because it's I'm you know I'm aware that we have a, under that feature film agreement, you have a, a buyout of ancillary usage as part of the upfront deal. So you get paid your BNF, basic negotiated fee and your usage and in AFCO, I'm gonna do that next, set out how they set out. You have a situation now where ancillary usage or rest of world usage includes streamers. And it's problematic again, because they could be on that stream for 15 years and you know it's all been bought out up front in that usage. So technology is changing and we have to adapt. So 2016 MOU will probably be redundant in a couple of years and there'll be it'll be all new technology. And um, I know there's this AVOD stuff happening more, which is subscription video, but with ads basically. So, uh, and it will continue to change. So we have to be aware of that and continue to change. Okay. The next one, I'm just going to talk about those two, um, the main agreements here in terms of the what the upfront usage for an AFCA for the Australian Feature Film Agreement. Basically, you get your basic negotiated fee. So that for the film, that's three three twenty nine per day or eleven ninety two per week. I think off off the top of my head, there's we've been the the um, we've agreed with the Screen Producers Australia to increase those rates by nearly 5% as an optional basis uh, to help with cost of living until this new agreement gets negotiated and when those those rates will be um, embedded in the in the new document um, and enforceable to the extent that they're included in contracts. But on top of that basic fee, you get your annual leave super, but you also get this, uh, and over time, you also get this usage fee, which is, as I was saying, a, a way of paying the performer for their image and the use of their image on that screen or in that production for a period of time. In the AFCA, you can buy, there's TV screenings for four or five years, which is 20 or 25%. World TV, non-US networks, 25%. World theatrical release, 25%. World ancillary, 20%. And Australian ancillary and pay TV, 20%. So overall, that tallies up to 110 to 15%. The Australian cinema release or theatrical release is included in the basic fee. Uh, the rest of it, you pay this 110 and 112% on top and they're pretty much unlimited. I mean, world theatrical unlimited doesn't mean much because it's only gonna be released in cinema for a short period, uh, but ancillary and Australian ancillary and world ancillary, they're the ones that you're getting this upfront fee and you're not getting later residuals. So that's something we'll probably need to look at given 
the more likely scenario um, that you're not selling to TV networks necessarily anymore. Uh, the US networks, you can, there's a, you know, the US networks, there's a payment of 100% for a US network. So that's a good result. You basically, if you made 10 grand in your basic fee, um, not including usage, and then they sell to a US network, you'll get another 10 grand in a check from that sale. But, you know, US network sales don't happen as much anymore. So that benefit is less valuable now than it was. That would be, so you're 110, 115%. We say you should be all bought out in one go. Spa say that you can buy them individually, but generally virtually all production companies just buy them all out up front. Under the award, the Broadcasting Recorder Entertainment Cinemas Award, which underpins the agreements, although the conditions are not quite as good and the rates of pay are lower, the, the now TV, film and TV agreement, um, that says that if you don't buy what you can buy them individually. You could say, I don't want world TV. I don't want world theatrical. I'm just going to buy Australian TV for 20, 20, 20%, Australian ancillary for 20%. That's 40%. And then world ancillary for twenty percent. That give me sixty percent. That gives me all my online and TV. I'm, I'm that'll uh, sorry my online plus Australian TV. That's all I need. Um, but if the the award then says if you don't if you buy it later if you want it, if you want the world theatrical later then you have to pay double the amount so fifty percent or you want the world TV you'd have to pay fifty percent. So we suggest to all productions just buy them up front. There we go. That's the film agreement. The TV agreement, the ATRA, 26, 20, 2004, uh, updated to 2016. You have similar, you have a situation where you buy TV rights for 70% and you get a, num a high number of screenings. Um, it's similar. It was five screenings over four years originally, uh, like film, but has been updated in 2016 to give you more screenings. Uh, rest of world payment is straight 30%. That's and then the ancillary is two point five percent. So you get one hundred and two point five percent on top of your basic fee. In TV, the fee is slightly lower, so daily fee two sixty six. Then you add your one hundred and two point five percent, and then it gives you about I don't know five fifty plus percentage for annual leave and super twenty. That model we'll go. I'm going to go into depth in that model a bit later, but you get um, you had tables so that these rest of the world ancillary payments are actually just first payments. And then if the production makes more money down the line through distributor sales, then another payment comes to the performers based on their basic fee or percentage. And that gets sent to Mia and Mia distributes that payment. It's pretty simple because it's just based as a percentage of your basic fee. So this rest of the world is broken down into 15% payments and they go reduce over time. Um, we'll get into that a bit more later, but the ATRA 2016, did change that they said all right we'll give you some more plays instead of five plays you get you know eight plays um or 11 plays for or 12 plays for a children's production but we're going to limit the usage to three years and the initial broad you get 70 percent buys you either the 11 plays on the tv or the or initial broadcast if it's a streamer then it gives you three years on the streamer with a couple of plays on tv included and vice versa. And then the rest of world payment stays the same. Ancillary first payment stays the same. And there was also a new free streaming component of 10%. That free streaming 10% is something that was added to deal with, you know, SBS to on demand, can play, those sort of things. Um, so you get a 10% on top and it's meant to be paid subsequently. So it can't be incorporated into your personal margin. It has to be paid after the contracting period. Uh, it gets this license period and then there's mechanisms from that license period there to um, mechanisms for that license period 
to, to extend that license period so you can pay for further amounts. And that's pretty useful. That 2016 agreement has been pretty good for performance. has been able to get, you get an upfront usage and we've been able to also get some payments down the line. I think uh, in my later, uh, I go through that in my residuals further on. This is just upfront usage. So we'll deal with that later. This is just talking about what you get paid upfront. So in that case, you now get 112.5% on top of your basic fee. And so under uh, under the award, there's no there's no rights to TV. There's no rights at all for TV. So this is all a bonus uh, that nego was negotiated by Mia and Screen Producers Australia, and uh, to protect performers and provide them some value in their image. Um, so that's really good. It, yeah, that's basically usage and upfront stuff. Is there any questions before I go on to the the next stage? Thought I'd just break it up in case people have questions. All right. Okay, the next one, in perpetuity. Um, this is, this is um, you know, big concern in the industry and something that we at MIA are always pushing back against and trying to tell, you know, advise members and agents of the of the difficulties within perpetuity and the problems. And, and the issue, the reality is that you're always going to get productions which are TV commercials or uh, TV productions or things that try and get in perpetuity usage, especially if they're not, me, you know, part of Screen Producers Australia, they're not using our agreements, they're indie productions, they're, they're small productions, they're, you know, nefarious companies, there's all sorts of situations where you can get a, in perpetuity a rise in a contract. And, you know, my immediate thought is if you see it, be, be concerned and either get rid of it or um, negotiate a better deal or, um, you know, if it's up to, if you're up, you know, or accept the consequences that you, that production, that video or that Film may be around forever, and you may have sold your rights to that. Your, you know, you you may never get anything from that, and it it'll be around. And of course, some of our agreements, as I was saying, with the film, you get you there's some components of it which are which are forever. So, as I said, that ancillary usage under the film agreement in 2012, uh, you you buy you you bought out, you bought out, but generally that was not problematic because you know it, the usage was limited but with use with internet usage and streamers that usage is becoming bigger and bigger so that's something that needs to be considered uh i'll give you an example of an uh in perpetuity well you know a, a famous uh australian kids band um had uh, uh one of our members uh signed a release in relation to a film uh, their, their child was at the production was at the filming of a sort of gig concert. Now that the release there basically said, I agree that the producer may film photograph and record my image and voice and that the producer is the sole and exclusive owner of all rights and title and interest in the recordings and any version thereof, including present and future copyright throughout the world in perpetuity in any and all formats and media not known or known hereafter, including any and all intellectual property rights subsisting there and blah, 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 et cetera. So this not only gives the, they're, 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 they've, they've signed away the rights to their image in any capacity, um, for any in forever till the sun explodes and not, we don't exist anymore. Or, um, and in all forms, including things that not even exist yet. So that's pretty, pretty uh, broad. <laughs> And as you can imagine, now the, the image of the, an image was taken from that film and used in a book, and is on the front page. So the person comes to us, seeing a little bit upset, 
about that image being used, but this is pretty watertight. Not only can be used in any format in any way in any media, um, they've so, you know they're sold that it's signed away that right. So uh, in, there would be no way legally to challenge that um, unless the, the only way I think is some sort of you'd have to ask them out of the goodness of their hearts to consider some sort of payment for this usage, which was unexpected during that concert recording. Um, and you'll see that often in, if someone's on the street and wants you in a TV commercial as a, you know, just a, a, a random soundbite from someone, they'll often walk around with a waiver and a rights in perpetuity thing. So be careful with that, especially in TV commercials where it's commercial use or um, things like that and try to avoid it if you can. Another example in a TV commercial, a friend of mine was involved in a uh, an ad for like a one of those sort of TV um, sort of uh, food delivery places. He um, they were involved in that. It was a spaghetti ad. The ad went sort of was quite successful and viral. Um, but this person did it for a friend. Um, set, came to me and said, "Look, this has been used on and on and on. Um, it's seen a lot of hits. Can you have a look at it?" Now we had a look. We had a look and. He had agreed to 12 months TV and unlimited online. Unlimited online means no limits in time or uh, or usage. So that usage on YouTube or on um, their website is unlimited. That's something we're trying to deal with now in relation to TV commercials um, about the UC, uh, archival footage and that sort of thing and online websites, et cetera. So I'll come to that later when I get back, delve into TV commercials a bit further. The um, but yeah, so be 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 careful of that in TV commercials in perpetuity, unlimited language. Try and limit TV commercial outstanding equity contract limits usage to three years as a maximum, and standard industry standard is twelve months within that three year period. So twelve months, and then you got a few rollovers you can use, and then you need another contract. So that's something that we promote, and and. You know, if you're ever in a TV commercial, I would be looking at that contract and comparing it to our equity standard contract um, and trying to make sure that you have limitations, at least limits in, in use and time. Um, because obviously in TV commercials, if you're on a successful ad in, in connection with a with a company, a big company or anything, and then it may limit your capacity to deal with other other commercials, if you're in a McDonald's ad, for example, and then you've got unlimited, well, then, you know, a lot of fast, you're going to be pretty much impossible to hire for any other fast food or other other food entities because of that, you know, you're associated with the other brand. So it's really important to protect your rights there. Um, and any questions, you're, we're always available here at the union to, you know, give you some advice on that. And although we don't negotiate contracts for people, we can say, look, that term there is problematic and you should be trying to change it. But I, the reality is I appreciate that in our industry, in, in, in performance, there is uh, the, you know, it's difficult to get jobs and uh, it's not a highly paid industry and people are, you know, often need those TV commercials. So it can be, um, you know, it can be something that is it, in the moment, you need to be aware of and 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 try and limit if you can. I don't think there's anything wrong with going back to a production company and saying, "Can we limit this to twelve months? Limit this to three years?" If they're at that stage, worst case, they say no, and then you have to weigh up the decision in your head: Do I want to get this two, five, ten thousand dollars for this ad, and am I prepared for that TV commercial to be out online forever? 
Okay, we'll come back to TV commercials a bit in a bit more depth later. And we'll move on to rights. Rights. I thought I'd go into rights a little bit here. Rights are obviously really important to any contract in any production. Uh, you're going to have the rights to the, the the company, the owner of the product, the the production company is going to want to want the rights to your image as an actor. So you're being employed by that production company to act. They're, they are the creators. Maybe the, there might be the writing team or whatever, the creator, the, uh, the company, the production company, like any employer would sort of pay you as an employee and the rights to that um, work would vest in the company thereafter. Um, so you're basically selling your image and your creative skills as a performer to that production company to use. And that's why these limits to time and payments for usage are so important um, because it is your image that's being used by them. So uh, here's an example of under the ATRA, we've got a standard template contract in the ATRA at the end of the ATRA. Um, uh, it, the performer hereby assigns to the producer all rights set out herein and acknowledges that the producer has thus sole and exclusive right, title, interest in, in any and all recordings of whatever nature of any work performed by the performer in connection with the production. Um, so, and producers shall not, uh, yeah, so that, and then producers should not assign or otherwise transfer any rights of usage of the production other than those set out in this agreement. So basically, you can, um, you, you are giving the, your right to your image to the pr producer, but they shouldn't sign that or assign that without some agreement on the assignment. And that the fact that you would need in, if they are going to assign that to another company, if the production company is going to sell it to Disney or distributor, well, then you need, you need to be protected so that your entitlement to residuals is protected in the future and that that is assigned with the production. We, uh, Here's, uh, here's something that a similar agreement. Here's another one that I saw recently in an agreement, and this includes uh, that that is similar to the assignment or uh, to the to the rights being assigned to the employer or the producer. But also this uh, more common cause that I've seen more often is the performer waives all moral or other rights in respect to the work the performer may be entitled to under the laws of, and of any and all jurisdictions throughout the world in perpetuity, in perpetuity um, to the extent that it's not enforceable in jurisdiction. Um, the performer consents to any past, present, and future doing of an act or mission in relation to the work, including basically altering the, the production and the, the program. And the non, uh, basically a moral right there is the attribution. A moral right is in basically a copyright type entitlement in your work. So uh, you have a moral right in anything you write or create. So that is interesting in live performance. When you, if you create a create character in a live show, then you have a moral right to that, and that means you can assert your ownership of that, and also um, you've got the right to attribution of that. Um, anyone using that or, or being credited for for that performance, um, they exist. In, in it, to an extent within the common law and within copyright law. However, there that's why there's these sort of clauses that are becoming more common where they want to have the moral, the producer wants the moral rights to the work. So there's no issue in the future if, if something, if the if if they do a making of or some change the 
the performers the the use of the performer in that production their image and things like that yeah so it's a it's a it's a uh, area of concern um it is a growing area of concern and um something that probably needs to be done at a governmental level because these are appearing in contracts and performers and agents and stuff are being asked to sign these agreements with these moral rights clauses um to an extent i understand the the production company having the desire to own the moral right because they are in effect the creators of the work um, however, I can all, you know, the performer also to an extent wants to have, you know, to be protected from any misuse or derogatory use of that image or, um, and to be credited or attributed for the work. So it's a area where there's a bit of, um, to and fro. And certainly I'm seeing, we're seeing a lot more of that stuff come out of us productions, offshore productions, um, streaming productions. They'll, they they have these really really strong clauses around moral rights and the capacity for the production to um to to own any any the rights in the in in the performance and all that sort of thing so that's something that is 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 increasing and it's a hard one because these offshore productions are paying good money to performers you know um five grand a week sometimes for their performance um and then they've got big companies behind them like disney and Netflix and they've got plenty of financial capacity and uh, the capacity to find other employees and other performers. So it's it's a difficult one. And agents will often take the work and accept those moral rights clauses. And you know we we see them often, and it's hard for us to push against um, because, uh, as I said, there's a competing issues there um i think that the main way for me to deal with this and we've had a member who's really passionate about this and she's come forward and tried to help and really wants to see some work from me and around moral rights and protecting the moral rights and i think the the way forward in that essence in the, in the best way forward there would be to protect those moral rights by um forcing the government to legislate on that and there's a there was a treaty in uh, the beijing treaty um which has uh, inbuilt protections for moral rights so that you couldn't contract out of it in a clause like this for performers. Um, and there's a sort of requirement for production companies and just to distributors to sort of try and prevent the use or the negligent use of that um, that film, you know, if it appears on online without permissions and is distorted, well, then trying to stop that. And we have a online e-commissioner who can you may, can make complaints if something is just just your image is distorted and appears online but it um yeah i think that we need to lobby the government and that's something equity is trying to consider doing there with our arts minister um tony burke and that'll be something that i think that we should look at is trying to get this beijing treaty uh ratified in australia and that will provide a bit more certainty and mean that it's easier to strike these clauses out because they won't they they wouldn't be valid um to the extent that the beijing treaty uh, protects those rights you know you can't override that you can't contract out of that so that's a something that is currently on the on the go the current the best thing for performers to do now um is to make sure that any agreements you have um reference the our agreements the afca for film or the for tv the atpa and the atra and that the terms of any deal member of contract are subject to the those terms. So it basically says the deals of this, the terms of this deal memo uh, 
subject, uh, you know, uh, the, where this where this deal memo and the terms of the ATRA or ATPA uh, disagree or diverge, the you'll often see them say the terms of this deal memo uh, become uh, sort of a. Uh, the terms of the deal memo override the terms of the outpatra. That's what we don't want to see. But so, uh, you know, people will come to me with an agreement and show me that. And I'll say, well, you've got to reverse that. Say that the terms of the ATPA and the ATRA override the terms of this contract or the deal memo where there's a disagreement. So that would be um, one way to deal with issues and concerns. Another way to deal with it is to look at the, the terms of the ATRA standard contract that we negotiated with SPA and compare it to what's being asked of you and what's been added in this individual contract and then go through that and have a look. And if there's areas of concern, well, then that's something that could be potentially negotiated. And sometimes I'll have to take these agreements to SPA, the Screen Producers Australia, or to the, to the producer or to SPA and say, look, I found this, we found this, we've been sent this contract by an agent um, we won't obviously send the names of the performer, but we'll cut and paste the term and say, look, this is included in the contracts and it's outside the terms of our extra standard contract. So can you remove these terms? Um, and moral rights is one, warranties is another you'll see, such as I warrant that I am a person of good fame and character. I've never done anything bad in my life and I'll never do anything to put bring the production into the distribute. Now that's something I don't like. Um, it's subjective for one and ridiculous to, to make a performer warrant that. Um, the moral rights and those um, own, uh, anything with, uh, you know, anything with in perpetuity usage is something to be aware of. Uh, the assignment of rights and making sure our agreements trump any other agreements. And then the other one uh, is that I've seen more recently happening a lot is the termination because in productions, most agreements, our agreements don't allow you to terminate like a job. Here's four weeks notice. You haven't done your job properly. See you later. Can't do that in film or TV because you're on a short-term contract for the period of the shoot and you've got a specific task which has been set out in the contract, be it 10 weeks of shooting or whatever. So you should be paid the full amount of the contract if they don't want you. If there's a change, if there's a sudden, the director has a sudden artistic desire that you're not right for the role. And I've had quite a few of these cases in the past where they suddenly want to um, change direction, and um, the director got it. They wanted an Australian producer, Australian performer was on there, got a really good job, doing a great, really, really good performance. You know, like a really important one for his career. Then the director got a change of heart and decided they wanted someone who could play guitar better. And then so, in that case, they tried to say, "All right, well." That's it. You've done your work done. Here's your work. You know, in that case, actually, they they paid. They came to us and I wrote, the, the agent came to us and I wrote to the production and said, you got to pay out the full value of the contract. Um, in that case, they had a a uh, minimum guarantee of, you know, X amount of dollars, 15 grand or 20 grand or whatever. Um, so they didn't have to pay out everything. And there's been cases where we've tried to reclaim, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for performers who um, have been terminated early because of artistic interpretations of the director or the creatives. Um, so that's why we are really against any termination, which is in line with um, fair work or things that say just you can give notice and terminate. No, these are fixed period contracts and these are specified tasks. So you should be paid the full amount of the contract or an agreed minimum guarantee if there is a change of heart. So that's something we need to protect. So um, it is a battle. It's always a constant battle for Mia 
um, and for us and for performers and agents to keep fighting the good fight and protecting rights and making sure that the producers and the big production companies and broadcasters do not encroach on rights any further. And they're constantly doing it. That's a constant fight. So there you go. I'll, uh, that's about all for rights for now. I'll come back to, I'm going to move on to residuals. Uh, yeah, we're going to do a little bit on residuals. Um, yeah, I'll keep going. Um, I do have two questions, Mark. All right, let's do it, Alex. Have a okay. bit of a break. I'll just read them out. Yeah. Okay. If we agree to a low budget independent feature film as say the lead actor that is below mere rates, what's a good residual or future percentage of profit that would be fair to negotiate? Uh, yeah, well, I'm gonna get onto that, but I, oh, okay. um, I'm gonna get onto that right now. So, uh, okay. but uh, in the, basically, the AFCA has got a net profits and we'll go into that now. So you can hopefully I'll answer that in the next couple of charts. Well, there's one more. Shall I yeah. read it out and see? Okay. Yeah. Uh, what happens if you didn't sign an in, in perpetuity uh, contract and you find your footage has been used in a way you don't think is covered in the contract you signed? Well, that's exact. Uh, that should be, um, you've got to basically, you've got to breach your contract claim potentially. So um, come to Mia, if you're a member, and we will deal with it. That's something we deal with all the time. I must have got like, you know, between myself and other industrial officers here, like my colleague Tess and Sana, we do this thing all the time and underpayments. And, I, you know, I do a lot of it for screen and TV commercials. And one of the biggest things I do spend time on is chase up TV productions companies and talent pay or whatever, um, if it's a TV commercial for rollovers, for, which have not been, you know, performers have seen their image on YouTube and it's the 12 months online um, payment, five grand for the TV commercial, which includes 12 months online. Then they see their commercial up on YouTube two years later doing the rounds. Well, theoretically, you got 100% roll over there for two years, five, 10,000 you're entitled to, or, or, or a negotiation on that, um, some percentage if there's more usage available. So I would say come to us or uh, go to the production, go to your agent or go to the, um, producer or um, whoever employed you and ask them about their usage. The first, most important thing to do is try and get a photo or some way of proving that usage. Um, and that can be an if issue, proving that usage, but something we definitely do a lot of. So if it's outside the contract and if it's not mentioned, well, you need, to, you need to look into that and it shouldn't be used outside the contract and you have a potential claim for a rollover or a breach of contract. Okay. okay, well, here's, here's another quick residuals one. What yeah. happens if the show, so you can answer it when you're in during this. Also, what happens if the show you're appeared on gets sold to a streamer and you haven't received any residuals? What's the process to follow up? Uh, we have a residuals accountant at, the, at MIA um, who deals with all this sort of stuff. So uh, I just send an inquiry into member services um, and we'll deal with it um, or and uh, we'll look into it. We... Just an example of that, we just recently had uh, the old Heartbreak High from the 90s was bought, um, was, that was before ATRA. There was no entitlement, you know, that didn't exist. Those uh, streamers didn't exist back then. So Netflix has started playing those old because of the new news show um, and didn't they had no need to pay any residual because there was nothing in place. But 
we followed it up after a few members inquired and we managed to get a payment of 200 grand to be shared between the performers for that usage. So that was just us working with Netflix to get a payment. And it was in a situation where it wasn't even, um, didn't even, they didn't necessarily have to legally pay, but they felt an obligation. So um, there's often cases where there's an illegal obligation, which we'll pursue and we'll follow up the distributor and the production companies. And there's some cases where there's a moral entitlement, like that TV commercial where my my friend didn't get paid anything because it was sold. It was it was um, uh, result. It was the contract was clear. We had I had another one for an underpants company where the contract was clear as well in perpetuity, but the company was doing really well. So we wrote to them and they paid our guy seven grand for the online usage of the ad. Um, so production companies are not all bad, and you know we can we can get payments for people in those circumstances. Um, even if, you know, it'll maybe that there's no legal requirement and we might be able to get anything and it may be that the technology didn't exist, but we'll do our best. And in some cases where there's a, a moral right, potentially, then we can try and push for something for the performers. Okay, I'm going to go into residuals now in a more full way. Residuals are the back-end payments. Uh, so upfront usage, now these are the residuals for the payments down the line. They... It, Big big time in the US, SAG after the Screen Actors Guild in, the, uh, in America and the American Film, Television, Radio performers, actors, they um, are basically in the middle of a fight with the Motion Picture Production Association. I think that's what they're called. Um, and uh, they're about to go on strike. You may have seen that the writers were, Writers Guild in the US were on strike recently and now the actors are following suit. One of the issue is residuals from streamers. Their performers there are really keen on residuals. They feel like they're getting they're getting lower and lower, and there's being less and less. There's less distributors selling them. There's more streamers owning the rights for many many years, and then you know so it gets sold to a streamer for fifteen years, say, and then it can't doesn't go out to any other territories, other any other TV networks. Well, then there's no gross receipts, so it becomes problematic. Um, so that's something they're potentially trying to get more of, get a bigger slice of the pie. Australia follows suit with, we are supportive. We've been one of the few jurisdictions in the world that actually has residuals, US and us. I think there's a couple of others, not many. Um, so that's something to be proud of, something that I'm proud that Mia was in, has, has managed to keep throughout this whole time, even if it's been eroded. Um, the, way to, the way it's evaluated, um, net profits is one way, which is, you know, your gross profits is your amount of money you receive, then your net profits is your profits um, after everything, all the deductions, all the payments to all the investors and all the employees and everything. So uh, that's one way. It's probably going to give you less money in the reality because not many productions see a great deal of net profits. Um, gross receipts is, a, is a probably a better way. It's all your, your sales, your receipt sales. Um, so if you get a percentage of those gross receipts, well, then you're getting something no matter what, even if they don't make, it never it never reaches uh, net profit. Uh, distributor gross is another term, which means the gross for the gross receipts, basically for the distributor. So a TV production company may sell their, may give the production to a distributor to sell. Um, the distributor then goes and sells this TV production all around the world. They might make five grand from, South Africa and 50 grand from some too, you know what I mean? Or 5 million from the US or something. And then you add all that up and then <clears throat> hopefully give something to the performers. 
Um, as I mentioned before, the, the issue, the difficulties as streamers where we have we don't have gross receipts, net profits, and distributors grow so often. So it's more we have to deal with that. And we have developed ways to deal with that through, uh, which I'll come to in a sec. The Afghan, here's the, uh, here's the Afghan, the way the Afghan does it. Now, in Afghan, you've got a performer's share in a 10% of net profits. So to that uh, member who asked about any profits, if you wanted to use Afghan as a model, 10% of net profits is shared by performers. In reality, not a great deal of Australian productions get into net profits. So that is often unused. But it is there and it is a protector of performers, particularly if the production does really well. Um, so you'll see often old films, even, you know, like um, classic Australian films, The Castle, um, things like that. Those things, they generate net profits. Um, and so there's a value there for a performer. 3.6% um, of sale price to the US networks. That's again, this is. Uh, this, uh, if, if it gets sold to a US network, there's 3.6% of that percent of that goes to be shared between performers. 3.6% of the distributor gross in North America after four years. Um, so they get the first four years bought out and then 3.6% of the distributor gross. To performers, 15% of the sale price on TV after the initial period. So you get your five-year TV or four-year period. Any other sale period after that sale, then 15% of that goes to performers. If the production has a, uh, this Australian film has a budget over 22.5 million, there's a capacity to enhance the residuals. Uh, one way to do that is to drop the four year thing here or um, get a percentage of PV sales of say 6%, which follows the US SAG model. Um, you may in an indie production as mentioned by the by the member, you may want to have a high, if you're doing that, you know, there's a situation here where People don't get paid up front for films and it's really bad. I'm trying to, I've been spent two years chasing up a payment of two grand for a performer for a, where he where he agreed to a delayed payment of three months uh, after the film to be paid. He's never been paid. We've filed in court. We've got it against the, the person's got no money. He's an independent producer. He's not, a, you know, there's no money there. We've got a default judgment. You know, it's just impossible to get the money there. So I say always take the, always get paid up front. Always get your eleven ninety two for your week's wage plus your basic plus your usage one hundred and twelve percent. Take that two and a half grand, and you may not get anything ever again. But at least you got something up front as a minimum. Um, there may be more, obviously. Um, this other stuff is great, but if you if you really want to do an uh, indie production and you're really happy to not take any fees, well, I'd make an agreement that you all the performers and all the creatives share and share equally in the gross receipts or the profits. Um, net profits would be fine as long as would be acceptable there as long as you're getting paid from the paid from either upfront or paid from before the from the gross receipts. But be aware that if you don't get paid upfront and you delay payment, you may never receive any money and it can be very hard to recover that money even for us as a lawyer, it's, you know, it can be almost impossible to recover money from a from some from a production company or a small independent producer. So um, I would avoid it. Atba Atra, this is the TV agreement. As I said, you got your when we mentioned before, one hundred two point five percent plus now ten percent free streaming. We have these tables which give you money for sales, beyond that. So Australian ancillary, you get two point five percent upfront, and then for every two point five percent 
sorry, for every two to four thousand two thousand dollars for a half hour show, four thousand dollars for an hour show, for every two to four thousand dollars received by the distributor in sales, two point five percent of the performer's basic fee. Um, so what's that? Say you say you made um, ten thousand dollars for the film or for the sorry for the TV production for the whole series. Two point five percent of that would be um, what two hundred and fifty bucks. So for every two grand in receipts for this half an hour show, you'd get two hundred and fifty, and that keeps going down the line for every sale. So that's potentially a benefit and an ongoing benefit uh, that could go for years into the future. The same with the rest of the world; they have tables. Fifteen um, percent. These are based on fifteen percent, and they are slightly higher rates. So this is overseas sales, ten to twenty grand, depending on it's half an hour or hour. As I said before, you get and it's US network way gets 100% and then 50% for the second run. Uh, here's the here's an example of the table from the ATRA 2004 elsewhere table 7.4 in that agreement. First payment and second payment is covered in your 30% um, upfront, so your 102.5%. But then every 10,000 after that, another 10%, another 10% for another if it's a half an hour show, if it's an hour, 20 grand in distributed gross. So if they make 100 grand, will they have to? And that's one, two, three, four. Then I have to pay 10, 20, 35% uh, on top of what they've already paid you of your basic fee earned throughout the production. Again, this will be paid. To, Mia follows this up. You don't have to do it. Mia gets the reports from distributors for gross receipts on the film or the TV show. And then in, in this case, and this is TV show uh, tables, they then get the uh, workout how much is how much they got to pay and then um, they get a copy of all the you know the timesheets and the payments made basic fees made on the on the tv production and then make the corresponding percentage sale of payments to performers and you know we release millions of dollars each quarter in in receipts um, or in, in residuals using these tv tables so they're pretty beneficial and they exist in place they currently exist for the rest of world sales and the Australian ancillary sales. So, on, um, uh, in terms of the 2016 agreement, so this is the, as I said, is that those tables still in place, but for the upfront payment for the 70%, so you got your 102.5%, you got your 2.5 ancillary tables, 30% worldwide tables, and you have your 70%, which is your initial payment. Um, and that now is 70% for your initial TV broadcast or 70% for the streamer, as we discussed earlier. Um, it, it's limited to a three-year license fee. And then what happens after that license fee? Well, we have a new thing here, which is 20% of the extended license fee for that period goes to performers. So if they then say buy years four to, they buy years four to 10, they say, so the first three years is bought out as a per that 70% uh, upfront. And then they want to extend that license fee on the, say, stand for, for 10 years, then they have to pay 20% of the license fee from the years four to 10. So if Stan pay the production company, say Matchbox, a million bucks for years four to 10, well, then they'd have to pay 200,000 to the performer out of that million. To the performers to share through Mia. Um, we'll get to how that works in reality soon, but that is a model that 
is beneficial to performers in the fact that you do have an extended license period of fee and that's then to be negotiated at arm's length between the broadcasting uh, broadcaster and the production company and they have to pay 20% of that extension to the performers. So, of course, in reality, it doesn't necessarily work that as, as well, but there have been, we've got a lot of residuals as a result of that. Um, I'll go through now the two main models that we use here. Um, the first model is just based on that ATRA. You've got to, you've got to, if there's a, if they've got a license fee already agreed, say 500,000 for years one to three, then 300, 250,000 from year four to seven, and then 50,000 from year seven to 10, then you'd have 300,000 from that year four to 10, and which 20% would be 60 grand would be shared by performers. Examples of good residuals, things we've got there, heartbreak high, there was uh, 212,000 we were able to recover there for 12 years. Well, mania, 162,000 for 12 years. Um, that gets shared by performers. Um, they can, Australian production companies can just come along and say, well, here's the license fee we paid, here's 20% for the years four to whatever um, to performers. Uh, the one issue, one issue you run into is that there's not necessarily a license fee. Um, the streamer might come along, say Disney might pay the production company Curio X amount of dollars to produce the film, um, produce the TV show. Um, that happened in the clearing, Voice Wallers Universe, another example, uh, Deadlock, you get examples of a um, production uh, of a streamer basically hiring or paying an Australian producer to X amount of dollars, which includes the total budget for the production, all the, you know, all the potential payments that arise from that and the license fee, right? So they're basically doing that. So how do you gauge the license fee out of a total budget in that situation? Well, we've been, we sort of used a, a SAG US style model of 3.6% of the 50% of the total budget. Total budget is basically direct costs. So you can, you can get rid of some of those indirect costs and tax rebates and, and this agreed residual payment. But so using that model, if you had a, <clears throat> a budget of 25 million and then, you know, direct costs are 20 million of that, or then you would do 3.6% of 50%. So that would be 10, 10 million. So that'd be 360,000. Um, we've been able to get some things we've negotiated. I, I was involved in the negotiations of the agreement with these companies and these production companies and the streamers. Clearing, we got you know nearly four hundred thousand. Boys follows the universe, sort of five near five hundred thousand for twelve years. Deadlock, similar uh, on Amazon. So I mean, these are there's no fixed model here because we're sort of in an unknown world there, and we're just doing the best we can to figure out a way to calculate a license fee and get money for performers. So that money gets distributed to performers. Or will do when um, after three often the, after three years and maybe we we agree on some of them to pay after the shoot but they can pay after three years because the first three years are bought out so it's for the years four to twelve or four to fifteen so it may be that those if you were a performer on one of those you might be getting it soon or you might be getting it uh, in three years depending on the agreement um, and yeah each of those is sort of we're out there trying to negotiate those as best we can for performers and maximize the payments. One issue that I mentioned, here's an example of um, uh, Stan. Well, Stan's not as big. It's only doing it in Australia, so the figures are smaller. But an example of um, their situation, they know that under the ATRA, you can, the first three years are bought out. So 
years four to 10 is what they've got to pay. So in this situation, they only had to pay 17 grand for a residual for the extended license fee from year four to 10 because 20% of the um, the license, they already, they said, they set out in the agreement a license fee of um, maybe like $200,000 from year four to 10, in which they only have to pay 20%. So that'd be, if it was 200,000, it'd be 40 grand. Um, so here's a breakdown of one there. Um, $1.8 million license fee. They've broken it down saying, well, the first, like the initial period, the first three years is 1.5 million of that license fee. And then the next three years is, you know, 117 plus 54 plus airlines. So yes, I agree. The value in the production is higher in the first three years, but is it 90% of the value of that 15 year? I don't know. That's a, they, the production companies always say, yeah, it's, well, it's all all the values in the first three years. Everything after that is just a library. Um, but the problem with that is that it reduces significantly and reduces the residual. So if you're paying, you know, if it was 20% of the full license fee, 1.8 million, you'd be getting significant money. But as it's 20% of the years four to 10, and they've really lowered the value of that subsequent license fee, license they've paid, um, well, you know, then it reduces it to pretty small amount of money, maybe 20 grand a share. So this is a problem, particularly if they're investing in the production company as well, because then you've got, the invent, they're investing. So it's hard for us to ascertain whether this, this license fee arrangement they've set up is dealt with at arm's length and is being negotiated fairly, or they're trying to do the favor here by knowing that the production company's got to pay 20% to the performers. So it's good that they get a fee, but it's not always necessarily as good as the value that we think it should be. So we're often in disputes with production companies who are trying to use the ATRA model of 20% of the license, the extended license. And then we're saying, well, they're saying, well, no, the I got one recently I'm negotiating now where they've said, well, the first three years is 93% and the years four to 15 is 7%. And I, you know, I said, no way, that's absurd. 20% minimum, I said. So we'll see how that goes um, because it's a, it'll, it's a significant budget, this one, and there's a significant license fee. So we can get a good amount of money potentially for performance, but you know that might end up between two and 500,000 depending on where we land. So obviously the performance, if we can get up, if we can say that the, license, the value of the license is higher after the first three years, or you know, has a higher value than they're attributing, well, then that's beneficial. So that's there's some of the issues that we face as a union, and you know, when we're involved in the negotiations with the production companies behind the scenes. Offshore productions, I guess SAG after is always the 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 model that you want to follow. They 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 have such strong, you know, they've got all all the big actors in America uh, are all members. They have a lot of power. They can drag members off productions. They can stop them flying out here to be in productions. They they have a lot more capacity to deal with producers and negotiate um, than we do. So uh, we try to any offshore production. We basically say in the offshore production that they they have follow the SAG residuals. So an example of that on the SAG residual here from the offshore agreement: six percent of distributor gross for free TV, three point six percent of um, distribution on pay TV which would include, include a streamer and then uh, other stuff, cassettes, et cetera. Um, so yeah, that's 
potential money down the line from sales. So that's a win for performers. So any offshore production has SAG residuals, so they, they should provide uh, a higher residual for performers. Again, we have issues, with, as I mentioned, with new media streamers. And so this is the SAG new media agreement to deal with Netflix. Um, they get nine, the first 90 days is bought out up front. Uh, that, that's part of the basic in, initial basic fee. And then they have a system where you get, you have a total, you have a ceiling on, basically it's based on how much total money you made from the film or the, or sorry, from the show, um, the TV show. And then there's a total, there's a ceiling on that. So that's, so that's maximum three, $3,128 that total fee. So anything, if you earn less than that on the production where you get less, your base is less. And then if you earn that, that's the maximum. And then that gets adjusted by the subscriber value for the, for the streaming company. So anything over 45 million domestic subscribers gets the highest value of 150%. So that goes up. And if it's a, it's a small, but you know, it's got 10 million subscribers, it's like 75%. So it goes down and then there's a percentage for each year. So the first year is you 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 get a forty five percent for the domestic use of Netflix, and then each year goes down. So they're getting performers there in the US on SAG or on Australian on offshore productions in Australia will get like a a set fee of maybe per a couple of grand per year for that where whatever it's on, and that sort of drops down down to down to you know a few hundred by the end of by ten years. <clears throat> um, those years that it's on the platform so we have that in our offshore new media agreement and um so any of those films that are made out here um for streamers la brea as an example or the um you know there's lots quite a few of them we use the offshore agreement um the rock things like that they uh they have this this residual structure so that's beneficial and um Probably better than ours, although I think I've, I've recently done a, some work with all the other unions internationally, and um, I think you know UK Equity, for example, they get eighty, they get fifty percent of their basic fee for ten years on the on the on the streamer, and eighty percent of that fee for fifteen years. So if they make if they made five thousand dollars on the show, um, they would get if it was on ten on the streamer for ten years, they get. Two and a half grand for that use. Uh, in in this in the new media agreement in SAG, you get you'd get you'd be getting a payment two thousand you know two thousand dollars first year then down. So that's a better a better deal. Our one, our one, you get your first three years for your hundred. You know you you get your usage. So you, on your five thousand dollars there, you got your hundred. You're already getting your seventy percent usage for for the streamer. Um, and thirty percent for the rest of the world. So you're getting hundred, you're hundred percent there on that, and you're then getting that twenty percent of the extended license fee. So our system is not so bad in the scheme of the world, but you know can always be better. Um, and that is part of the world we're fighting in, on, and and dealing with that change of technology and the way it changes residuals. Yeah. Okay, we're getting towards the end here, which is good. Media distribution, I want, we distribute it, it goes to us into our trust account. Our residual account, it does some sort of whiz-bang mechanism for working out the value on an offshore, on the, on basically based on the number of days the performer's on and the, the amount of salary they see, the total compensation, the, the number of days, that sort of thing. And then it's worked out as a percentage 
of the total. I think the maximum you can get if you're a star on that show is 15% of the residuals. So you can imagine there's everyone goes down there from that, from that point. And that's how they're distributed. Obviously, the usage tables under Atra, they're distributed based on your basic fee, but this is the other model. Yeah, I think that's that's the residuals model. Um, is there any, I've got, just to go TV, TVCs after this, break, a couple more on TVCs. So if there's anything that comes up on residuals, any questions, Alex, are we good? Should we become a SAG after member if our show, show is sold in America? uh not really um you know you don't need to be a sag after member if you're a member of mia um the if it's an australian production you'll get residuals paid under our agreements if it's an offshore production you get the sag after rates and residuals anyway through the agreement that we negotiate with the producer so the only time you'd need to probably become a sag member is if you were in the us working okay well that's it that's it for the moment all right cool okay we're nearly there everyone so good work for listening it's been it's been long, I know, and plenty of information. But uh, finally, I just thought I'd do a quick thing on TV commercial rollovers. I appreciate that many performers make a, make us, you know, a good amount of them perform income through TV commercials. Again, limitation of use. The contract, our standard equity contract, should have a period of usage um, from the date of the transmission and not exceeding three years. She usually will set out the time in that on the front page of that contract and should have the limits to the use. So it should be 12 months TV, TV, all TV, online, social media, pause outside, uh, posters, you know, cinemas, whatever it is, stadiums, and there should be equivalent percentages that are paid or a total negotiated fee, which includes that and would then <clears throat> have a period. So say it's 12 months and includes all those things. And then we find it online after, three months after, we could, we'd be going to them and saying, you haven't rolled this over. You should be paying the 10 grand. They we might say, oh no, it's just an accident. It was left online only for three months. And then, you know, you know, they'd have an argument to say that they should pay you three, some, you know, a quarter of that. And then some, a percentage of that for the online usage. But it is something that is regular. Reg I do regularly. And, you know, performers are coming to us regularly where they find that their ad, in places that shouldn't be after the terms have expired. So always keep an eye out and uh, uh, be prepared to snap a photo if you can and then come to us and we'll try and recover some monies for you. An example of uh, an issue that we're facing now in TV commercials in relation to these rollovers is I had a TV commercial there with a with a uh, uh, a um, cruise company where the um, ad was a bit of a successful ad it was quite gimmicky and cool and it was on youtube and people were visiting it and seeing it so they claimed that it was just an archival footage and it was up on it was not it was not searchable as in it wasn't being it wasn't they weren't doing a paid ad spend where it was appearing on youtube which would definitely be online uh it was just on their website uh, it was just in their website it was just on their archival footage um, they have taken it down now, so that was good that we were able to get it down. And uh, there was a bit of an argument with, with lawyers in relation to the, what that online usage in, included and whether an archival on, you know, on a website, et cetera, counts. Uh, so we're trying to sort of get to a place where we can get to an agreement with the producers and with, you know, the casting guild and everyone and to to deal with this so that we don't have this issue. And basically... 
um, sending out it on whether you can, you know, it may be that it, it can remain on their website or on their platform, but it's not searchable. It's just archived so people can't find it um, and that sort of thing. That is one way that maybe done and then it should be unlisted on YouTube. So that's one way that I've seen companies dealing with this, but ultimately, yeah, you don't want it to be something that's appearing, certainly not appearing on YouTube or, or online as an ad. And um, yeah, maybe, you know, if if they have to put in the specific YouTube broadcast, they, it's not searchable on YouTube, they have to put in the specific link. Well, that's something not that, that equity is probably not too concerned with because, you know, people are not just randomly searching links for a TV commercial. Um, so it's not really like, it's not really going to hinder the performance capacity to get the work, other work. Yeah. So there, that's something that we're based, dealing with, in, with TVNC negotiations. Currently that's TV, we're renegotiating the equity standard contract currently and trying to put in place around, uh, a few things around rollovers, um, that rollovers should be the initial period. Uh, the maximum length is twice the initial period. The initial period has got to be less than a year. Uh, we're trying to deal with this online archival online to protect the performers and um, yeah, deal with a few other things like cancellations, get higher payments there and, and, and performer consent on dubbing. So that's going on right now, but yeah, well, overall that's, that's everything. Um, I think um, the summary in summary, just be aware of your image being used. It's your image. You um, the, the perform the production company's buying that image. It's got value. We should be getting payments for that usage up front. We should be, we're trying to get, we try to get agreements so that performers will receive residuals in the future if a production is successful. Um, we want to limit any imperpetuity use and we're constantly trying to deal with changing technology and streamers and the erosion of those entitlements. Um, yeah. So if anyone's got any uh, questions now, um, otherwise, I think we're done. No, Miles, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. No really worries. appreciate it. I've got some questions here and I'll read them out to you. How are you dealing with A1 usage of uh, performers' voices and images? It's the first one. Sorry, uh, dealing with what? A1? Yeah. What's A1? AI. It's AI. It's AI. AI. Oh, AI. Sorry. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, AI. Uh, well, that's we're actually that's a uh, voiceovers is the next after the TV commercial agreements done. That's something we're looking at doing. I've had a few members come to us about voiceovers for video uh, for recording for uh, books and that sort of thing. Uh, that's an unregulated area. There's no agreement like the TV agreement or the film agreement. Um, so performers are stuck on the Brecker Award, which is pretty rubbish, and the rates of pay are bad, and there's no protection of the usage. So. Uh, I think that we need to negotiate a, an agreement around that. Um, I understand the big, some of the big companies that do those recordings are reticent to, to be involved. So maybe um, that is something that we'll need to organise around potentially and, and deal with. Um, how to protect with artificial intelligence? Well, I guess we'd have to deal with that in the agreement. Um, and it is something that is a big concern in the industry. I know that one of the, the writers... Guild in America protesting one of the issues is AI, and that and that's something that has also been raised by when I was talking to, to my colleagues in the SAG after the other day. They were telling me that is a concern to performers uh, potentially using voices and images 
digitally created, yeah, I don't know. It's a brave new world and something that we probably need to deal with um, sooner rather than later. And, I mean, they, it, yeah, I, I guess we'll need to follow the lead of our probably SAG in that essence and we'll be, you know, we'll be monitoring their negotiations and their... Um, their uh, their strike and where that leads to, and and they're going to put out some information to us about what we need to do. Um, and yeah, watch this space because that's something that sort of we're we're all grappling with, and we'll need to formulate a plan on how to deal with it, um, which hasn't been developed yet. So, okay, the next one. So, if an ad is on YouTube after the contract period, uh, can you recover rollover money? Uh, yeah, potentially. Depends on the terms of the contract, but yes, probably. Uh, and, uh, depends on yeah, the terms of the contract and whether there's an entitlement to whether that online YouTube is online usage or amounts to um, archive, some archival footage. But I would say it's probable that you would be able to recover, but it depends on the contract. So if you have any, if you want to send your contract into Mia and to, members msca members at mia.org any inquiries and with your contract and your inquiry and that'll probably be filtered down to one of us to deal with and it may well be that you have an entitlement and something we can look into okay the last one i've got here unless people more are going to come in is if you hire to be a, an actor with a speaking role for a corporate training video for a company that will be using the videos internally for employees only, what kind of agreement and payment should you have with the company? Well, yeah, it's it's not regulated. That's under the by our agreements. It's regulated by the award, and there's no usage in the award except for film. So you're only getting an upfront payment, and the upfront payment for um, that sort of thing under the award is about fifty bucks an hour, okay? or maybe slight forty three, forty five plus, maybe a casual loading, but. Um, or a minimum four-hour call potentially is as good as you're going to get as a performer. So in the reality is in those spaces, they often contract you as a contractor rather than employee and therefore, and then pay you uh, just a, whatever they want because the contractor is not regulated by the award. So, um, you know, I've seen payments vary. I've seen 250 up to a few thousand for those sort of things. So, um I, I think it's um, again. It's we don't have an agreement. It's not regulated, and it's an area of individual negotiation, really, at this stage. Well, Miles, there. That is the last question. So I just want to say thank you for that a wonderful job, that huge job. Um, yeah. My pleasure. Thank you very fantastic. much. Fantastic, and uh, we have recorded it, so it will be available uh, as a podcast. So keep an eye on the e-bulletin when we announce it. So thank you again to Miles for this wonderful uh, live stream. And thank you to all the attendees today, all the equity members, and of course, Media Super. So thank you very much again. And uh, of course, you know, send in any suggestions or thoughts for future live streams. We always look forward to seeing that. So thank you very much, everyone. And uh, Alex. Next time. thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Brought to you by our principal sponsor, Media Super and the Equity Foundation. For more information about the work we do, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Equity Foundation Australia on Facebook and Instagram.